Even in these liberated times, most singles I know still feel negatively judged for sleeping around. It seems extraordinary that sex between two consenting adults can be regarded as any more objectionable than eating dessert or having a bath. When undertaken with honesty and without causing hurt, sex for sex's sake is one of the most rewarding pursuits possible. Now let me be clear, I don't think that is true. But Amy Cooper does. Amy is a freelance writer and social columnist, and that comes from an article in, in last weekend's Sunday Life magazine. She advocates what she calls no-strings flings, recreational sex that is not part of an exclusive, committed relationship. Now, we may be saddened by her words and her thinking, but we ought not to be shocked. For Amy's words and thoughts merely represent our so-called liberated times. What she thinks is what our world thinks, what our friends think, what our TV shows portray, what our movies and novels honour. And so, of course, we too are in danger of thinking the very same things. The great tragedy, of course, is that these liberated times are marked by nothing more than slavery. Slavery to selfishness and sin and death. True liberation and true freedom is found only in Christ and obedience to Him. And so, of course, it's important, isn't it, that we keep on working hard to ensure that the way we think about our sexuality is in line with the true and authoritative and loving word of our Lord God and Heavenly Father. And hopefully our times together over the next two Sundays will help in that. We're going to spend some time together in two portions of the word of God to help realign our thinking about our sexuality to the path of true freedom and liberation. Tonight, the Song of Songs. I would think that there's not much surprise in me saying that the Song of Songs is a very surprising part of the Bible. It's the common caricature of God, I guess, that he's not much interested in sexuality and, and physical love. In fact, many would think that he's against it. And yet the Song of Songs in the Bible is a celebration of physical love, of sexuality. Its language is surprisingly sensuous. Its opening line is of a maiden longing for the physical touch of her lover. In chapter 1 and verse 2, we read this, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. There's an intensity and a longing in the language that surprises us. The maiden again speaking, this time in chapter 5 and verse 10. My lover is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. Verse 16, his mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my lover. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Or listen to the young man describing his beloved in chapter 4 and verse 1. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Now I should say here, fellas, that you ought to be careful with that one. Culturally, that doesn't quite seem to cross over as neatly as we might expect. Margie didn't warm to that one too much about the whole teeth not being missing thing. But let me keep reading. Verse 3. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Down to verse 7. All beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. 
Forget Mr. Darcy, okay, girls? This guy is the goods, don't you think? But this is not in a trashy Christian romance novel on special in Kurong this week. This is the Holy Scriptures. This is the Word of God. And it's a bit surprising. And at times we can, all, we can almost feel embarrassed as we listen in on the two lovers talking with each other and describing each other. We feel like eavesdroppers on a conversation that we ought not to hear. It's a surprising book to find in the Bible. And in fact, throughout the book, there's no direct naming of God. The name of God doesn't directly appear in the whole song. That's surprising too, I reckon. All in all, the Song of Songs is a surprising song. A surprising, but a very significant song. In fact, the title that we're given back in chapter 1 and verse 1, the Song of Songs, means something like the song to end all songs, the greatest song. A bit like the King of Kings or the Lord of Lords, this is the Song of Songs. This song is unmatched for its beauty and greatness and significance. And it's a song because it's a celebration. It's a celebration of love. It's a rhapsody of love. This is the greatest of all songs concerning the greatest of all topics, love. And it may surprise us, it may cause us to giggle, it may cause us even to blush, but it comes to us as the Word of God, the God who is love, who made us to know love, to enjoy love, to live in love, and so it's important that we appreciate this Song of Songs. Point two on your outline. There are two main characters or voices in the song whom we've already met. The first is the girl, the beloved. She's a country girl who's called a Shulamite in chapter 6 and verse 13. Listen as she describes herself. Chapter 1, verse 5. Dark am I, yet lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. She's a worker in the field in the family vineyard. She's cared for the family vineyard, but as a consequence, she hasn't cared for her own vineyard, which throughout the song is a rich image of her body. She's neglected her body, her skin, her beauty. And yet there's one who thinks otherwise, isn't there? He's called the lover. He's a young shepherd. And his descriptions of the Shulamite are extraordinary and extravagant. Chapter 1, verse 15. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Chapter 2 and verse 2, Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. Chapter 4 and verse 9, You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. This young shepherd is captivated by the Shulamite. They are in love. There are other voices in the song, like those of the friends who ask questions, who tease a little, who echo some of the sentiments of the lover and his beloved. But the song is centred on the shepherd and the Shulamite and their love for one another. And in fact, the song is an anticipation of their marriage and the consummation of their love in their making love, in expressing their love for each other sexually. Listen to the maiden, chapter 4, verse 16. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind, blow on my garden, that its fragrance may spread abroad. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. And the shepherd responds in chapter 5, verse 1. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh and my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. And the friends... 
Eat, O oh friends, and drink. Drink your fill, O oh lovers. Friends, it's a travesty and a mockery to think that the Lord God in all of his holiness is against sex, against pleasure, even physical pleasure. Our sexuality was a part of his good creation. In the creation account of Genesis chapter 2, in the Garden of Eden, the man and his wife, we read, were both naked and they felt no shame. Part of God's delight in his creation would have been his delight at those made in his image enjoying their sexuality, making love to one another under his glad, loving, gracious eye. And not merely to make babies, but to commune with one another, to become one flesh, to enjoy one another. It's a beautiful picture back in Genesis chapter 2 of the man and his wife. It's a picture that resonates with deep and right longings within us. We'd love relationship like that. But of course we no longer live inside that garden, do we? God's goodness back then was rejected. God's loving rule was rejected. And so humanity, in chapter, the end of chapter 2 of Genesis, was ejected from the peace of the garden. And shame and fear and disharmony now characterize our relationships. Life outside of the garden is stained with our sin. It's lived under the shadow of death. We live in a world that dishonors God and dishonors his gifts, including his gift of sexuality. Ours is the age of no strings flings, sex for sex's sake, the illusion of casual sex, the mockery of virginity, the mockery of an exclusive committed relationship between a husband and a wife as the only right and best place for sexuality. That's our age outside the garden. And it seems hopeless. It seems so far removed from the beauty of that picture way back in Genesis chapter 2. And yet, the Song of Songs is set in our world, outside of the garden. And it is a celebration that something of the love that we read of back in Genesis 2, inside the garden, is still attainable, outside of it, even now, even by us. It's not perfect, yet the Song of Songs is a very optimistic book. It's a celebration of the enduring goodness of love and the enduring goodness of marriage, even outside the garden. For seven chapters, the song anticipates the marriage of the shepherd and the Shulamite, anticipates the consummation of their love in making love. And then the song has perhaps one final surprise for us. Upon reaching the end of the song, the apex, the crowning moment of the song, what we find is not a description of the making love but something far more profound, far more beautiful even. Come with me to chapter 8 and verse 5. Who is this coming up from the desert, leaning on her lover? The friend's question there in verse 5 marks the high point, the destination of the entire song. The shepherd and the Shulamite are now together, married, their love consummated, and it's seen and proclaimed by the friends, the girl leans on her lover her husband. It's a simple and beautiful and profound portrayal of the truth that the deepest consummation of love is not sex, but relationship, companionship. And verse 5 there of chapter 8 is almost, almost a return to that picture in the Garden of Eden, naked, not ashamed. The wife rests against her husband, secure in their companionship, secure in their love, and then we hear the newly wedded girl speak to her husband, but also to us, of love. And not just their love, but love itself. Verse 6 of chapter 8. 
Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot wash it away. There is the great lesson of the song. There is the wisdom of the Song of Songs, for it is a book of wisdom. It concerns the character of true love, the love of the Shulamite and the shepherd, the love that we too can enjoy and share and offer. Love is as strong as death. It is indestructible even by death itself. It endures, it lasts, it, it is unceasing. Many waters cannot wash it away. And it's jealous. It's as jealous as the grave. We often think of jealousy as a negative thing, but not when it comes to love. For true love is jealous in that it demands faithfulness. True love is, is exclusive. It tolerates no rivals. The jealousy of true love is a powerful comfort. Throughout the song, a number of times, the Shulamite can sing with absolute confidence, My lover is mine, and I am his. It's a beautiful confidence. It's, it's a confidence that flows from exclusive love. It's a confidence that neither lover will do anything, anything at all, to jeopardize or betray the love of the other. My lover is mine, and I am his. True love is strong and jealous, and so true love is incomparably valuable. We can see that at the end of verse 7. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. So there's no price that you can put on true love. It's beyond price. It is incomparably valuable. If someone dared to think he could somehow purchase love with all that he had, the wealth of his house, he'd be rightly scorned. He'd be rightly despised. For he would understand nothing of the value of love. True love, the, the love that's celebrated here in the Song of Songs. And finally, according to the Shulamite, love brings peace. Verse 10, she speaks, I am a wall and my breasts are like towers. Thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. It's strange imagery, but the woman is declaring that she has brought her lover contentment, peace. The actual word is shalom. Really important word in the Bible. Peace. It's what the friends described back in verse 5 of the woman leaning on her lover, contented, at peace. Shalom. And it's what we each long for, isn't it? Rest, security, acceptance, fulfillment, contentment, peace. Shalom. It's the fruit of true love, the love celebrated by this Song of Songs. True love brings peace. Well, it's a wonderful part of Scripture. I hope that you agree. There's, there's much to appreciate within it, and we've really just skimmed through it. But of course, like all of Scripture, we've got to do more than just appreciate it. We, we've got to embrace it. We've got to let it shape us and mold us. So how do we embrace the Song of Songs? Point three on your outline. Well, the Song of Songs is a wonderful affirmation of the beauty and goodness of marriage. Marriage between a man and a woman, a committed, exclusive relationship of love. God delights in marriage. Marriage provides the opportunity for intimacy between a man and a woman that is both beautiful and profound. Just as back in Genesis chapter 2, God declared that it was not good for the man to be alone, here the Song of Songs portrays for us how good it is to be married to be in a one-flesh relationship with another, to know something of the peace, the shalom, that this song proclaims. 
And for those of us who are married, embracing this Song of Songs must surely include a renewed thanksgiving to God for his good gift of marriage. For it's a beautiful thing. It's something to be treasured. Back in chapter 2, listen to the Shulamite's declaration. Chapter 2 and verse 3. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. Wives, can you join the Shulamite in that, in that declaration? Do you delight to sit in the shade of your husband? Is it your joy to lean on your lover as your companion, your partner in life? Husbands, is it true that you provide love as a banner over your wife? Are you there to be leaned upon? There's such rich blessing to be enjoyed within marriage. As the wife loves her husband and submits to him as she does to the Lord Jesus, as the husband loves his wife just as Christ has loved the church, as he leads her through loving sacrifice. Rich blessing. Men, do we lay down our lives for our brides? It's a strange thing, you know, but I think we, most of us would say, I'm prepared to lay down my life for my wife, and we really mean it. We're ready to make that big sacrifice. But we're not so much ready to make the little ones, like to, to listen to her when she needs to, when she needs to talk, to, to give her the time, to stop doing what we are doing, to give her the time. Even at the end of a busy day, we're ready to lay down our life in the big sense, but not so much in the small sense. But of course, those small senses are the big sense. Do we make it a joy for her to submit to us in trust? Do we provide good shade? The celebration of this Song of Songs calls us back to the joy of marriage and it rekindles our hope. It refocuses our energy. This is how God intends it to be. This is how it can be. So let's reaffirm our vows to be committed faithfully and exclusively to one another. Let's delight in the partner that God has provided for us. And look, maybe we won't use the teeth like a flock of a sheep, just shorn line. Maybe we won't use that one. Maybe radiant and ruddy just doesn't seem natural for us to say to our husband. But let's honour God by genuinely delighting in one another and in enjoying one another, both in the bedroom and out of the bedroom. A husband and a wife making love to one another is holy and good and right. A husband and a wife delighting in their sexual relationship and the fulfillment and joy that it brings is holy and good and right. Listen to the shepherd in chapter 7 and verse 8. May your breasts be like the clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. Listen to the Shulamite's reply in verse 9. May the wine go straight to my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I belong to my lover, and his desire is for me. But of course, not all of us are married, and many of us who aren't long to be, wish we were married. And so perhaps what I speak of as cause for joy and celebration seems to you as more like cause for sorrow and pain. And I'm genuinely sorry if that's the case. It's the thing really I was most fearful of in preparing to teach tonight. For this Song of Songs, it does display with stark clarity the real cost and hardship of singleness. And it would be foolish and wrong to pretend otherwise. 
aloneness remains not good. And our longings for companionship and security and relationship, our sexual longings, our longings for fulfillment and contentment and peace, they're right. They've been put there by the Lord God himself. And so a right response to this song for you might be to bring your sorrow to your Heavenly Father in prayer. And perhaps to humbly ask him to provide you a partner. And to ask him for patience and trust and endurance and holiness in the meantime. Please don't hear me saying that the Song of Songs, that you know, that from the Song of Songs to be single is to be inferior. Please don't hear me saying that. That would be to dishonour the Lord Jesus Himself. Please don't hear me saying that the life of marriage is free from hardship and struggle and even loneliness. That is certainly not true. But this song does highlight some particular struggles of singleness, struggles that Jesus Himself knew and knows. And brothers and sisters, he is our great high priest who sympathizes with us, who knows the temptations of singleness. Yet he did not sin, he did not waver in his trust in God. Pray to Jesus. Look to him to receive mercy and find grace. That would be a right way to embrace this song. As would be to heed the song's warning. Three times throughout the song, like a refrain, the Shulamite speaks these words of warnings. The last time is in chapter 8 and verse 4. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Brothers and sisters, the love portrayed here in the Song of Songs is truly beautiful and very desirable. But it would be a tragic mistake to pursue it outside of marriage outside of marriage to another believer. Do not let the genuine hardships of singleness lead you into the tragic sin of awakening such love outside of marriage, outside of marriage to a believer. That would lead only to multiplied hardships and even deeper sorrow. More of that next time from the book of Proverbs. Trust God in this. Trust God in this. Trust in his goodness to you, for he loves you, single or married, he loves you. And indeed, the love that is portrayed here in the Song of Songs comes from God, who is love himself, who is the source of all such love. The love celebrated in the Song of Songs, the, lo the love that brings peace, is actually available to every single person in this room, married or not. For it ultimately comes to us from the Lord God himself. I mentioned earlier that there is no direct naming of the Lord God in the Song of Songs. That's true, but there is one verse in which there is a thinly veiled reference to him. It's in chapter 8 and verse 6. Love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. The phrase to notice there is mighty flame. In the original language, the phrase literally says the flame of Yah, as in Yahweh, as in the Lord. And so verse 6 describes love as like the flame of the Lord. And you can see that in the NIV footnote. That's fantastically important because the love we read of here in the song, so beautiful and so profound, the love that brings peace and satisfaction and fulfillment, comes ultimately not from our wife or our husband, but from the Lord God himself. The peace we long for, the satisfaction and fulfillment we were created to enjoy, ultimately can be found in the Lord himself. 
That's why, even though sex and marriage are good, they can be passed up, if need be, for the sake of the kingdom. Singleness for the sake of the kingdom is actually a life choice that is honoured by Jesus. The relationship of marriage is a portrayal, a model of the relationship, the more important relationship between the Lord God and His people. Jesus is portrayed as the bridegroom of His people. The final day when Jesus returns for His people is portrayed as a wedding. For Jesus, you see, loves us with a love as strong as death. Jesus loves us with a, with a love whose jealousy is as unyielding as the grave. Jesus loves us with a love that is unquenchable by many waters. So if your desire is for love, then look firstly to the love of the Lord Jesus, who gave himself up for us to death to make us his own, whose banner over us is truly love and will be for all eternity. And like the shepherd in this Song of Songs, Jesus will come for his bride. He will come to bring us into life to the full, with no more tears, no more loneliness, no more lack, no more sin. Just never-ending joy and fulfilment and satisfaction and peace in Him. Brothers and sisters, the Song of Songs is a celebration of love. Love that many of us are blessed to enjoy within our marriages. And so we should treasure it. We should honour it. We should work hard for it. But the love celebrated here is also a love that all of us can experience and enjoy and delight in through the Lord Jesus, whether we be married or not. So may we be satisfied in Him, the Lord Jesus. May we be satisfied in Him above all else, above all others.